A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. You're listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official expanded universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com. There is a great disturbance in the force. That's right, Whistler. Welcome to episode 180 of Star Wars Beyond the Films, your Star Wars discussion podcast, your podcast, a legend, your ticket to that galaxy far, far away. Our episodes broadcast on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes can also be found on iTunes, Zoom, as well as Stitcher, and right on our own Twitter and Facebook pages at SWBeyondFilms. Hey, but enough about how you got here. Let's get this show started. I'm one of your hosts, the defender of the EU, the champion of the multiverse, the bipolar Star Wars fan, Mark Herleman. And with me, like Han Solo's wife, the EU guru himself, the Count of Two Continuities, Mr. Nathan P. Butler. That means I am. Nope. Nope. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. There are so many things I could have said. There are so many jokes I could have made on the whole Han Solo's wife thing. But you know what? I'm simply going to say hello. And that just means I have a mystery yet to be resolved. That's better. I thought you were going to go, you have a lot of guts showing up here after what you pulled. Oh, we'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Uh, uh, I was going to say uh, uh, I am a, a scary, scary lady with a big <laughs> gun. But... That's that's fine. Somebody will say, what do you got against ladies with guns? Dude, I got a problem with people with big guns. I don't care what gender you are. <laughs> it's bullets I'm scared of. These days you can pick your gender anyway. I don't care. Just get the gun out my face. But <laughs> I promise this would not be a political episode. Uh, uh, no political rants this time. Um, uh, even though I did just slip into a heavy southern voice. No uh, political rants. Doggone it. We are going to be continuing where we left off last time. Yes? Here at Star Wars Beyond the Films, we ask the tough questions. Questions that have bothered you for a long time, or simple ones that have perplexed you off and on. Are Han and Leia still going to get married now? You ponder about Star Wars and so do we. This episode we turn our focus once again to the new canon world of Star Wars with Marvel Comics Star Wars issues 3 through 6. We're also going to hit some of the covers. Well, not all of them because there's just way too many. We'll get into that. But consider that your spoiler warning, Beyonders and Sentients of All Ages, because here we go on another adventure beyond the films. Okay, I gotta stop and ask. So is this like Game of Thrones? Like, if Han and Leia are not married and have a kid, does the kid not get to, na- to take the name Solo? Does the kid have to have a name like Alone? <laughs> well, what if Solo is a bastard name? What if everybody with the last name Solo is just a bastard? Yeah, we never knew that in the first place. There you go. Well, you know, that's where, um, side note, uh, that's where my family name came from. My family was Fitzpatrick and then eventually became Butler, supposedly because there's an early, early ancestor within the Butler line who became the personal aide to William the Conqueror back when Butler was like a personal aide type thing, kind of like Alfred to Batman. And the name changed because you would change it for an honored prof- profession. So it went from Fitzpatrick to Butler. But Fitzpatrick in and of itself is a bastard name because one of the things that happened in, in the history of that era, that part of the world is that Fitz, in front of your name, 
meant you were the bastard son of. So Fitzpatrick means bastard son of Patrick. Hmm, so my middle name, Patrick, makes that even more bizarre. <laughs> That's what the P stands for. Uh, You're an enigma. Yeah. Okay. So, yes. And we're, we're sidetracked already because you started talking about them having the kids and, and not being married. And uh, Anyway, um, we left off with issue number three of Marvel's first arc, which is Skywalker Strikes. And oddly enough, it almost felt like the intimate arc in and of itself. The Rebels have been on a mission to Psy Moon One. The mission is over. Luke has encountered Vader for the first time and realized how woefully unprepared he is to actually face Vader, which ironically is something that Vader slapped him around with in the Marvel series uh, back in, I believe it was Dark Lord's Gambit, um, whenever he sent Ormond Tag in as Vader with an illusion to fight Luke to prove how completely unprepared Luke was. Uh, and now Luke is facing a lot of doubts about whether he'll ever be able to be a Jedi or stand up to Vader because Ben is gone. And Vader, because he's now encountered Luke, now is on his own quest to figure out who this person is. He doesn't know Luke's actual identity. He actually wasn't able to really tell immediately that it was the same person as the pilot that destroyed the Death Star, though he sensed that the pilot was there and then encountered Luke. He does know that Luke carries Anakin's lightsaber because he saw it and actually pulled it into his own hands to notice it. So he knows that Obi-Wan has had contact with Luke. He just doesn't know who exactly Luke is in the grand scheme of things or that he's Vader's son. But we now have sort of these new aspects of the characters and storylines going, or at least new for this continuity, where now Vader is seeking answers and Luke is seeking some measure that some measure of any kind of training or knowledge that can make him feel as though maybe he could actually be a Jedi. Because right now he's pretty down on himself at this point. And we pick up with issue four almost as if it's a different arc in a lot of ways. Four, five, and six almost act like a mini arc inside the same arc, but it still says this is book one, part four, Skywalker Strikes. Book one, part four, Skywalker Strikes. It is a period of renewed hope for the Rebellion. The evil galactic empire's greatest weapon, the Death Star, has been destroyed. And now the Rebel Alliance looks to press its advantage by unleashing a daring offensive throughout the far reaches of space. Princess Leia Organa and her team of Rebels have just completed a daring mission where they managed to infiltrate and destroy the largest Imperial weapons factory in the galaxy. Their success was owed in large part to the valiant efforts of young Luke Skywalker, who at one point during the battle stood face to face with the unstoppable Darth Vader himself. But Luke finds little cause for celebration in the victory. He has now seen the full power of the Force in action and knows he has a very long way to go if he ever hopes to become a true Jedi. Now, each issue does start with one of those crawls. We're only picking up with the crawls that lead us into the issues that we're talking about, rather than each individual issue. So that takes us into our back three. And we actually start on Tatooine, where Vader is there to negotiate on behalf of the Empire with Jabba the Hutt. So a cool scene between those two, and I like the uh, the actual negotiations that take place here. First off, he has to talk his way past Big Fortuna, and Big Fortuna is up there making kind of his derp face, apparently. And uh, says, and he hopes that negotiations will prove beneficial for all. You may dispense with the pleasantries. We will begin negotiations now. Give the Emperor what he wants, and he will allow you to live. This concludes the negotiations. <laughs> Give us your goods, and you will not die. 
Now, is this the same scene that we see in the Darth Vader comic? Ah, uh, that is a good question. It is not. Here's the interesting thing. The Darth Vader comic begins with a meeting between Vader and Jabba, but it is before this meeting. He comes in, he actually talks about how he's going to be coming there very soon for an official meeting. But before that, he's got things that he wants. And among them is to set up a couple of bounty hunters to do some checking into certain things for him, including going after Luke. So you've got sort of this interesting parallel of scenes where it'd be easy to think these are the same scenes just told in different ways. But if you actually are reading them back and forth as you go, holy crap, this begins the integration of the two series in a lot of ways with each other. Vader's picking up essentially here, and it's got elements where it's flashing back also to what happened on Moon 1. But this is the official meeting, where Vader's basically there on behalf of the Empire, not on behalf of himself. Oh, that makes... Well, see, yeah, when, when Jabba was talking about using the bounty hunters, I had that feeling that maybe this was their second meeting, but okay. That's actually kind of slick in a lot of regards. I mean, Vader as a Sith Lord, if he's doing anything behind Palpatine's back, he's definitely going to want it to be unofficial. Oh, yeah couple things that stand out to me on these first couple of pages. One is, you may dispense with the pleasantries. I don't know. I'm at the point now where, and, and they did the same thing in Heir to the Empire. We know you're writing some of the first stuff in a new continuity. You don't have to constantly echo the lines from the films. You may dispense with the pleasantries for some reason of all the lines that do get repeated within the Marvel stuff so far. That one just rubbed me the wrong way. I don't know why. It just it jarred me for some reason. The other thing, though, I think is kind of neat is when uh, Jabba starts speaking, there's a little bitty notation off to the side. And instead of like an asterisk or something, it's a little orange SW. And then mm -hmm. at the bottom, there's the little SW box that explains translated from Hatties. We're starting to get that Marvel kind of tradition of we are going to tell you when it's translated from something. And we are going to give you references, thank God, between... Okay, this happens in this story. What is it referencing in another one? You know, see Darth Vader issue number whatever. See Star Wars issue number whatever. Um, yeah, these are notes. Th those are always yeah. my favorite parts of the Spider-Man. See Spider-Man 45 and see Web of Spider-Man 88 by Ed. Dark Horse did that sometimes, but not nearly as often as they could have or probably should have. Probably because of how sprawling the, the Legend Saga became. Mm -hmm. But it would have been much easier, I think, for people to get into Star Wars comics to have that accessibility they talked about so freaking much in their last few years, if Dark Horse would have used those types of little side note references much more often, at least in my humble, humble opinion. We get to see some interplay between Vader and Jabba talking about these different shipments and whatnot, these resources that the Empire wants. These are actually the same resource shipments that we will find Vader and Tag protecting uh, in the pages of the Darth Vader series as it moves on to its what, second issue, third issue, I guess, or whatever it was. Um, but it's, I don't know, I, I like the scene, but I gotta tell you, the way Jabba is drawn, is it just me or does Jabba constantly have a lazy eye? I, to me, I thought it was his nose. Like, one nostril was higher than the other, but now well, when true. I'm looking at some of them, it does look like he's got a lazy eye, too. His it nostrils are like, wow. Maybe it's, it's, it's like the puppeteers inside him are drunk. <laughs> yeah, it's like one side of his face is moving and the other side is not. I mean, maybe clearly Jabba had a stroke the whole time and we just weren't paying attention during the films. 
I'm not touching that one with a 10-foot pole, my friend. You can take the flack on that one. So they decide that, well, they're going to celebrate this new deal. They're going to celebrate, you know, Vader being there and all by, hey, watching something die. Interesting. And we jump away to the Rebel fleet where Han, who is still injured from what happened on Simon 1, and Chewbacca are trying to fix the Millennium Falcon after that particular mission. This is that part that I loved. You know, Chewie said it was going to take a day and a half's worth of repairs, and he got him out of there within 30 minutes. And the dialogue from Han right out the gate, it's a miracle. It's a miracle this thing even flew. Were you blindfolded when you put this thing back together? I don't even know what this is. I mean, he's like got these parts all over the place, and Chewie's just like, you know, doing what he can. I love it. it in some ways, Chewie kind of reminds me of like those type of early programmers, but in a mechanic sense. Like, oh, I don't need this. I don't need that. I can streamline all of this. <laughs> like, look at him go. We move to a briefing between Leia, Admiral Akbar, Mon Mothma, and Jandadana. And it's interesting. Leia's basically saying that they're not doing enough. And Akbar rattles off all this stuff that they have done that we haven't seen in any stories yet, right? Since the destruction of the Death Star, they've staged more than a dozen different attacks on almost as many worlds. They've bombed the shipyards at Kuat and the supply base on Imdar. You yourself, Princess, just destroyed one of the largest weapons factories in the galaxy. Okay, is it one of the largest or the largest? There was nothing I don't think in those first three issues that said it was the largest. Then all of a sudden in the opening crawl of this issue, it is the largest, but whatever. No, no, there was... There was was uh... there? Yeah, uh, Aggie himself said it was the largest. It was the most defensed, uh, defensive moon out there, which I had at that time was like, interesting. Okay, like they're going like really this small team against the biggest planet. Okay, okay. I just th that never from the dialogue it never jumped out at me that that's supposed to be like the super military uh, construction operation or military. See, I assumed he was talking out his arse. I really didn't think he was being truthful, but now with Mon Mothma backing that up, I was like, oh, well, wow. Hats off to Skywalker and company. So Leia presses the issue, says, we may have wounded the Empire, but they're far from crippled. We have to press our advantage now or everything we will have done will have been for nothing. And they start talking about different things they could try to do uh, to make more headway as the rebellion goes that they can't stop now they must keep pressing forward and leia is like okay well whatever the resources are that are being used to say find a new rebel base and whatnot let me and my team keep going out there on these missions to keep striking at the empire and mom Mothma flat out asks you know when you say that are you talking for everybody are you speaking for your entire team which presumably is this team that's been built around the film heroes that we saw back on simon one where we were wondering why weren't there other rebels with him? Where apparently this must be Leia's new team that she has constructed. Han and Chewie, who aren't even technically rebels, Luke, Leia, and the droids. Luke is seen briefly practicing with training remotes, except now against two instead of against one, and he gets the crap zapped out of him. Uh, Leia enters, and they have what I think is kind of a... I don't know, it's a well-handled conversation. A conversation that could very easily had diverted off into Obi-Wan's holding me back, Anakin-style whining type of conversation. This could very easily have been Anakin and Padme on Tatooine when Anakin is throwing a hissy fit, or on Coruscant when he's almost throwing a hissy fit, um, in Attack of the Clones. Of course, in that case, on Tatooine, before he realizes that he needs to confess that he just killed a bunch of people. So, Leia comes in, and... She didn't even get a chance to, to tell him what the mission is. Just, Luke, I'm not interested, Leia. In what? 
in whatever mission you've come to try to talk me into. I told you, it was lucky we weren't all killed on the last one. You're too hard on yourself. I've seen you do amazing things. Things only a Jedi could... I'm no Jedi. All I am is a danger to everyone around me. What you are is special. General Kenobi saw that. I don't know why you won't let yourself accept it. Ben's dead, just like my father. And when I tried to avenge them, Darth Vader swatted me away like I was an insect. Until I'm something more than I am now. I shouldn't even be here. I shouldn't be around any of you. Luke, what are you saying? I'm sorry, Leia, but please, just let me go. Go? This is what you were born for. You can't... Go where? Luke? And Luke just walks the hell away. And I found that was quite a shock. I could see Luke wanting to expand his knowledge and wanting to maybe leave the Rebellion briefly to go and try to, to, to find out more about Ben or something like that. But to have it really have... I mean, in a lot of ways, that sounded like there was some finality to that. Certainly, he's going to wind up coming back because he says, you know, once he becomes something more, he can be of use to them. But him just flat out walking away and just shutting her down completely, especially given the feelings he's supposed to have for her, I found that to be a pretty powerful scene that could very easily have gone wrong. See, I love that. I mean, from the very first moment you see Luke... There were things about him that jumped right out to me, like the fact that he's wearing uh, Carillion yellow blood stripe pants. You know, I was like, oh, well, why has he got those on? Maybe it's just a fashion is that, state. Is that what they are? Or, I thought he was just wearing basically what he was wearing during the, um, whatchamacallit, during the award ceremony that we saw him in some promotional shots for Empire in. Well, maybe, but they definitely seem to look like they've got the death stripe down the side of them. Uh, so, like I said, maybe it's just a fashion statement, but that jumped out to me. I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting. But I like the interaction here between Luke and Leia because it goes back to, like, that aspect I was saying in the last issue, you know, where Luke, when it comes to being a Jedi, has no confidence. And he knows that Leia is looking at him to fill that void. You know, she keeps bringing it up, you, you know, the abilities he can do like a Jedi. And he's like, I'm not a Jedi. I mean, he has the confidence in everything else. But that last mission, he's looking at it as a failure. And him going the route of the Jedi is what almost cost them. In a lot of ways, it's almost like with I, Jedi, with Coran Horn and how, you know, at first he tried to do it, you know, through the Rogue Squadron aspect. And then he was just like, no, I need to embrace my Jedi heritage. And then when he started to do that, he's like, no, I need to go back to my investigator heritage. And then eventually he's like, I just need to be me. And that's kind of where Luke's at is he needs to get that training so he can be himself, you know, have the confidence he has when he's behind, you know, the ships and stuff like that. He needs that when he's behind his lightsaber. And right now he doesn't have that. And until he does, he sees himself as a detriment to any mission. And so to me, it's like I see a nobility in his walking away. Like if he goes with Leia, he feels he will get them all killed. He needs to get this training that she needs. She needs him to be that Jedi. He needs to be that Jedi, but he can't do it in this location. He has to go seek something else. Oh, yeah. I think it's a powerful moment and a, a realistic moment for the character. I'm just, I'm kind of shocked. I was kind of shocked in reading it, just how it just straight up it was. It wasn't some, well, wishy-washy stuff. He was just like, I've made my decision. I'm gone. I guess we're so used to the wishy-washy Luke of this era so much in the Legends continuity that to have him really kind of make that type of hard choice instead of whining about it and brooding mm -hmm. on it for issue after issue after issue was kind of refreshing. Yeah. So we jumped to Tatooine for refreshments, that transition there, and we find ourselves at the Mos Eisley Cantina, where a mysterious stranger that appears to be a woman 
based on the they, they make it a point he's wearing this cloak but managed to have the the cloak a cloak jacket whatever it is kind of pulled aside just enough that you can see like a chest body armor that looks like it's breast formed i guess is sort of the way that they are trying to show us this is a woman because nothing yes. else of it really does um, tiptoe around that too because it's pretty much yeah they've got the you know chest plate for display yeah, I had no idea initially that this was a woman. I, I wouldn't have been able to tell you that until we got later on and saw the character in action a little bit more. But she's questioning some Rodians trying to find Han Solo, right? And it's interesting in that she's looking for Han, not looking for Luke. So now we have Vader going after Luke, and now here's this other character who's apparently hunting for Han. The character's in some deep trouble. The, the group of characters we know of as the Big Three are in some deep trouble. She basically just tears the crap out of these Rodians by blasting them with, among other things, these little turret things she has hidden underneath her table that takes out their knees, showing us that Rodian blood apparently looks like vomit after eating a lot of lettuce. And... They, they finally reveal, you know, he killed Greedo and he ran for it. He's gone. You know, if he were still here, he'd be dead already. So she says, you know, Han Solo belongs to me and leaves. And that, I guess, was our other slight hint that it was a woman because the the facial structure that you slightly see above the thing covering her nose and mouth and below the part covering her forehead, you see eyes that are a little more rounded than you would expect the way that they would draw male eyes. But that's about it. Between that and the chest plate, there's really not a lot of hints that this is even a woman, let alone of this character's identity. And of course, this turns out it's going to be a character who didn't exist in the Legends continuity. So all the fan theories of who this might be kind of out the window because those theories were being based on, well, what characters from Legends might they be bringing back? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, they don't have to bring people back. They can create their own. And this is going to be one of them. Yeah, the other thing that kind of gives you an idea is when she picks up the turret gun and is walking away, you, you finally get a, a view of her pants and the way her blaster's strapped to her, uh, the pelvis region and everything. It, it's smooth, which isn't necessarily a, a look I, I see in comics for guys' thighs. They tend to be the Superman really muscular or, or a lot of details to the muscles and what they're doing in the legs. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the mask itself and the way it is wrapped around it for the most part does leave it ambiguous enough that you don't necessarily know whether it's a girl or a guy. Almost like how with itch issue one, when you see Leia behind the mask, you're like, okay, I get an idea that's Leia. And you're like, is that Luke in the other side? And you don't really know it until Luke pulls the helmet off. They do a really good job of keeping the mystery in that regard alive. So we jump back to Tatooine and Vader and Jabba are basically just watching a bunch of Banthas getting blasted. Ooh, what fun. But it gives them a chance to speak again, and they make references, as Mark alluded to, to those bounty hunters that were hired back in Darth Vader. So we have a sense of continuity between the two series. And we are reminded that one of the bounty hunters, the Wookiee, is on some other mission. He's going after uh, Silo, who we're going to meet in the Vader series when we talk about that in our next episodes. And the other bounty hunter, who's not revealed by name here, it's Boba Fett, is the one that's going after Luke, trying to locate him and identify who he was. And while they're there, Vader takes the opportunity to ask Jabba what he knows about Obi-Wan and his time on the planet. And you do have this great moment where Vader, you know... He might very well have just killed Jabba right then and there because Jabba pretty much slaps him insultingly, you know, verbally, 
without realizing that he's doing it. Uh, it is still hard to believe that this boy of yours, this mighty warrior who destroyed the undestroyable Death Star, could possibly have come from these same empty dunes. Who knew anyone of note was ever born on Tatooine, eh? And Vader's like, oh, if I didn't have to hide my identity, I would kill you right now, fat man! <laughs> there will be a reckoning. Another great little line here, too. As as the Banthas are being slaughtered by Jabba's thugs, you got the little monkey lizard. <laughs> and Vader, he's like, if you value that creature's life, you should tell it to never do that again in my presence. <laughs> oh, yeah. I love that. I love it. I love it. Hello in TV land. I always have to say that when Salacious Crumb comes up. Hello in TV land. And those who have been around long enough to know where the hell that comes from, I salute you. Uh, from Star Wars to Jedi, the making of a saga, ladies and gentlemen. Um, and that brings us into what is essentially the second to last scene, which is Luke actually leaving. They let him take an X-Wing, which is nice because it's got a hyperdrive and all. Because it's not like he had his own ship. He has an X-Wing, R2-D2, and is leaving. And... Leia says, Luke, for the record, I think it's a bad idea. But if this is something you feel you have to do, I won't order you not to go. Just promise me you'll do your best to stay safe out there. The Rebel Alliance needs you back in one piece. Han even chimes in. And he's the one who wasn't planning on staying with the Rebels anyway. <laughs> bad idea doesn't begin to cover it. This is just crazy. Kid, the entire Empire is out there searching the galaxy for the pilot who blew up the Death Star. What do you think will happen if they catch you? The Empire has no idea who I am, Han. And more importantly, neither do I. I just know I'm not who I'm supposed to be. Not yet. I still have too many questions. There's only one place in the galaxy where I can maybe start to get some answers. R2, set course for Tatooine. Which is that great tie-in to the end of the last issue where we saw that book, or whatever it is, that container sitting there with four Luke on it sitting in Ben's abandoned hovel. We briefly shift back to Tatooine, where that same poor group of Rodians with their knees all bandaged up from having their knees blasted out from them, are confronted by someone looking for a man named Kenobi, right? A lead on Luke. Boba Fett says, Uh, never mind. Why are you looking for him? Tell me all you know about a man named Kenobi. Kenobi? There's a Kenobi who lives way out of town, out in the dune sea, some crazy old wizard. Why are you looking for him? Um, never mind. I don't care. Kenobi's dead. And Boba Fett is asking the questions. And it's sort of that, that badass introduction of Boba Fett type moment here. To me, that wasn't much of a dun, 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 because I think I'm done with the Boba Fett is awesome just by his very existence thing. But it is cool to see Boba Fett now carrying over because, of course, he's being hired back in Vader, and now we see his pursuit continuing here in the mainstream regular Star Wars series. You know, I think you bring up a good point, though. You know, being over Boba Fett is awesome. I, I'm not ready to let that go. And I think there are a lot of fans that aren't. But I think that, that what you bring up is a growing issue for the Boba Fett fan community is that most of us are kind of getting over him now that we know he's just a clone and there hasn't been much going with him. I mean, Legends, you know, at one point he was the only one in the galaxy that knew Darth Tyrannus was Count Dooku. And then they didn't do anything with that. Like they've used that character so often as this middleman. Like, I hope we get something good in canon that makes him as badass as we always thought he was. You know, I mean, when you see this pose, he's definitely oozing that same old badassness. But there is something missing. And I think it's that middle that middle ground. It's just not there to keep the illusion that we had when we first seen him standing in the background. So that moves us on to issue and part 
five, where Luke has arrived on Tatooine and he has landed his X-Wing and is making his way towards Ben's hut. Meanwhile, Boba Fett is basically just killing a whole lot of people and questioning them to find more information about Luke Skywalker. He's saying, you know, someone on Tatooine knows his name. I want that name, and I don't care who has to die for me to get it. And Fett winds up basically facing off an entire bar room at, at well, it's not even Kalman's Cantina anymore, just the most likely Cantina, because Wooer's in the background. Faces off with everybody in there, just like, you're going to tell me what the name is. Threatening everybody, takes down a big, multi-armed dude to get the information, and then this little kid-looking guy, this little human, tries running out of there. And that does not work. Boba notices that he's trying to run and poof, shoots his little, uh, uh, you ever call it, the little rope gun and just wraps him up, catches him right then and there and starts torturing him to get information. Now, there's a lot of fan theories actually out there that this guy is supposed to be Wendy or some other character that was previously known as a background character in, say, a deleted scene from A New Hope, but so far they have not identified this character by name as in when we're recording this on June 29th. So some kid who knew Luke is trying to run out of there. Boba sees him running out, says, you know, you knew enough to run. Let's start with that and starts torturing the guy to get information. We then move back to the Rebel fleet where Han turns out can't leave yet because he needs to fix the Falcon. And all of a sudden, he can't have the parts he needs, not without proper approval, because the Rebels need it for their opportunities, for their various missions and whatnot. And Han is using this as sort of the, the way to get to Leia, the, oh, you don't want me to leave type of thing, kind of like he tries to pull in the Empire Strikes Back. And she ropes him into a mission to get the parts that he needs, essentially. You know, you go on this mission with me as a way of saying thank you, we'll give you access to the parts you need. And it opens up this question of, well, what happens after he fixes the ship? What's interesting, though, is the way that it plays out, the dialogues. Help oh, yeah. It. She says, uh, you help me, you can have your parts. Help you? All I do is help you. I just helped you blow up the biggest weapons factory in the galaxy. I put my name on the Empire's most wanted list for you. That was days ago. You need to stop living in the past, Captain Solo. I help you one last time. I get whatever I need to fix my ship. Is that the deal? If that's what you, I'll do it. And after you fix your ship, you need to stop living in the future, princess. Let's get this over with. I, I gotta say, as much as I, I talk about this series kind of feeling like it's growing on me, it's a fun ride, but it has yet to be something so bombastic to make us say, wow, this is awesome, I'm so glad that this is what they're doing instead of what the Legends continuity did, um, that it's got cool moments, but that the story has felt sort of straightforward so far, like the Moon thing just felt like another rebel mission to me. I gotta say, for something like that, I find myself quoting the dialogue very often for this series. They really do the dialogue very, very well, and the art in this series is done particularly well. I think this is a series that, given enough time, is going to become something awesome. The roots of it are there, it's just, it needs to have time to sort of get its steam under it, you know what I mean? No, absolutely. That's exactly what I see. I, I see as this plays out more and as we see how connected it was and if the books pick up on some of these elements and well, you know, I think that's what they need to do. And in this case, I say they not as Marvel, but they as the story group, you know, they need to keep 
us paying attention to these characters and keep us wanting to know more. I think like, like you mentioned last episode about how Kanan is based off of a character that we really care more for the character, not so much the story. I think that's the angle they need to be playing is like, if you're going to give us a story that it could be any single person, at least make it a character that you're going to invest in. Uh, as long as they're investing in these character stories, we're going to continue to invest. And I think that's the one thing legends has shown us from the beginning. Uh, the windy Deke or, or, fixer angle you know the the who is that character you know you mentioned him being a kid i don't think he's a kid though i just think he's a really short adult um you know because he's in a bar i think that's that's one aspect plus he talks about luke like like if he's a kid he's like at the top end of being a kid like 19 20 something like that you know about the same age as luke maybe he is like 16 maybe he's a little younger but i get the feeling that he is one of those those guys as well because of the the dialogue that was being used from him um, he definitely knew Luke, and if he isn't of Luke's group of friends, then he had to be like a, a little sibling of one of those uh, to get that that feeling out. But the fact that Boba Fett beat the hell out of him and tortured him inside the cantina while everyone's still just eating and drinking, I thought that was a little kind of a, a nice little bring back the uh, awesomeness of Fett there. I was like, all right, this is the Boba Fett I remember. So we jump back to Tatooine where... Whoever that poor schmuck is from the cantina has gotten the hell knocked out of him. He's laying back on a table. Fett is on top of him with his hand gripping the guy's throat. The guy's now missing teeth. He's bloody. And there's knives and all kinds of stuff stabbed into the table around him. Not pleasant. But he belts out, Skywalker! His name is Luke Skywalker. He's the one you're looking for, I swear. Who is he? Moisture farmer and a bush pilot. And I never quite understood that. What's a bush pilot? Somebody's got to explain to me what a bush pilot is. I'm assuming it's something about, like, driving in the wilds or something. But a bush pilot always sounded weird to me. Unless you're talking about somebody flying in one of the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan back in the early 2000s. A bush yeah. pilot. I, I, w- I would say it's got to be something to do with being out in the desert for tattooing. I guess. Seeing much bushes. <laughs> Moisture farmer and a bush pilot. This with his aunt and uncle. Used to hang out at Toshi Station with Biggs and... We called him, called him Wormy. Please don't hurt me anymore. I think that's what made people think it might be Windy, because he says, we called him Wormy. And Wormy was what they called him in the deleted scene and whatnot. As I saw him in Mos Eisley with old Ben, heard they were trying to get off world. All Luke ever wanted was to get off this sand pile, just like the rest of us. I only wanted a drink. One drink, please. I told you all I know. Can I go now, Mr. Fett? Yes. And Fett shoots him. Kills him. Can he go now? He goes to the afterlife. A very fet moment, or what we hope, I guess sort of what we would hope to see from a badass fet if he's supposed to be badass now. Um, Almost a very Punisher moment. And you almost get the feeling that whoever that guy was, this was his first time in the bar. (laughs) Like, oh, yeah. Like, dude, I just just came of age. I just wanted a Budweiser, and now you're beating the shit out of me. What did I do? Exactly. Exactly. Ah, the things a man will go through for some alcohol, apparently. So, Luke is apparently with R2 walking their way to Ben's hut, and and Luke is talking to R2 about how sometimes he hears Obi-Wan, but he somehow knows that it really is Ben's voice, uh, wonders why he doesn't just tell him what to do, and Luke gets attacked by a Tusken Raider. Only this time, instead of Gaffy Stick versus whatever Luke can have on him, as was the case back in A New Hope, Luke now is armed with Anakin's slash his lightsaber. 
and he pulls that sucker out. And as he charges toward them, we will find momentarily, they basically run for it. I'm, I'm assuming this is meant to be a reference to the idea that these sand people remember the stories of either what happened when you screw with Ben, which we might find out in issue number seven, because it's a flashback tale for Ben, or what happened with Anakin and that Tuscan group back in Attack of the Clones. Yeah. That and that honestly, I think either one would work, and they, they could even be both for all I care. I think that would be a fun little twist. So Han and Leia are on a mission now by themselves in a stolen Imperial shuttle, and they get run, they're looking for potential rebel bases and whatnot. They get run into by a couple of TIE fighters, and she starts transmitting a clearance code, but it's taking too long, and Han basically just jumps into action before they can wait to find out if the code actually cleared and gets them into trouble by doing evasive maneuvers. And they start being pursued and have to go to a place that uh, Han has used in the past basically as like a, a hideout. It's a place that nav computer doesn't even recognize. There's atmospheric cyclones and lightning and all kinds of crazy stuff. So, of course, they'd be crazy to follow us, wouldn't they, right? And... They're able to go down towards the surface of that planet, not realizing that there are sensors that have been placed there to alert that mysterious figure from the cantina that kneecapped all the Rodians to him returning. Someone who apparently knows that he's got this hideout, or at least a smuggler hideout, in the Mansua Nebula. So that person, this woman, gets the signal. A dog always returns to its favorite den, doesn't it? I've got you now, you sorry son of a bantha. And she zips on, heading towards that planet. Back on Tatooine, Luke has driven off the Sand People, mainly by the sheer sight of the lightsaber. He goes inside Ben's hut, and Ben's hut is full of garbage. One wonders if the Sand People and others came in and really messed it up, or if Ben was just a slob over the years. And unfortunately, they just discovered the box that's going to contain Obi-Wan's journal. And like, what? What is it? You found something? What? Wait, does that say... For Luke, and in comes a flashbang grenade. Boom! And Luke is on the ground. R2, what happened? I can't see! With Boba Fett right behind him. A great way, by the way, for them to play this idea of Luke not recognizing Boba Fett as the bounty hunter later. Because they actually talk about that a little bit within the letters page. I believe it is also this, this fact that, you know... You don't want Luke to necessarily know everybody and know everything too soon because you want there to be some surprises with the other films and whatnot. So here Luke is blinded for his first encounter with Boba. Yeah, a great twist to the Boba and Luke fight there. And the fact that like, if Luke's going to have any shot in hell of being a Jedi right now, being blind to his adversary is probably going to be the, the aspect that helps him find and dial into what he needs to be doing. Uh, you know, there was also some other things about Han that I found were kind of intriguing. Uh, you know, we have him still not able to talk to Imperials very well. Uh, you know, we, we first see this in A New Hope when he's like, uh, we've had a slight uh, weapons malfunction here. We're all good now. Uh, everything's good. And he does something similar there when he, he starts to transmit the code and everything and he starts to do the veer off. He's like, oh, we had a slight uh, thruster malfunction. Uh, it gives you the impression that maybe in canon legends background has been thrown away for Han. You know, there probably is no Imperial background to Han at this point. I think that's safer and safer to say with every little new tidbit that comes out. 
The other thing, though, about Han's dialogue, and it was actually one of the earlier issues uh, from last episode, he had made a comment when Vader was attacking uh, and Leia was like, he's using the Force. And Vader says, or Han says, there's no such thing as the Force. And it's like, okay, you've already gone through everything with Ben and all that. You even said, you know, may the Force be with you to Luke as he gets on the X-Wing and you're about to leave Yavin and stuff. And yet you're still a disbeliever, Han? Like, really? Like, so, so for me, like, that was the one aspect of it. Like, when I stopped and I thought about it more, I was like, that seems a little odd for Han to still be not believing in the Force. But beyond that, like, I'm really digging the way that everything's working out. I'm liking the new versions of everything uh, from the characters' points of view and from our the readers' points of view of what these characters should and shouldn't be. So far, I'm really enjoying this ride. I'm really liking what Marvel's doing now that they've had it. I mean, from a confidence standpoint... I'm finding what Marvel's doing is leaving me heck, uh, what Marvel's doing is leaving me a hell of a lot more confident than what Dark Horse did in the last year of their run. I mean, you know, I kept hoping Dark Horse would start delivering stories like this, but coming out of the gate like this, kudos for Marvel. I mean, they seem to really be firing on all cylinders here. That brings us to the last issue, issue number six of Skywalker Strike, six of Star Wars from Marvel. Star Wars, I guess for them it's volume two. At this point, very much like Brian Woods for Dark Horse was, but let's not dwell on that series. Luke is basically scrambling around trying to figure out what to do. He starts getting his butt kicked by Boba, who basically used the butt of his rifle and just knocks him out. Stay down, you Skywalker. Sky who? Luke's not admitting to who he is, of course. Luke punches Boba and in feeling armor thinks that... He's a stormtrooper. What are stormtroopers doing on the Dune Sea? You'd have to ask the stormtroopers. So Luke has no idea who this is. Uh, and because he's blind, he can't really do a whole lot against Boba. Boba's kicking his butt. Luke pulls his lightsaber and sort of instinctively is able to avoid a couple of, uh, of things. He's able to avoid the little uh, uh, rope launcher, which is something he can't even avoid back in Return of the Jedi. He does manage to get a hit in on the little sensor thing, the antenna, sticking out of Boba's helmet. Boba winds up falling, not so much because of anything Luke did, but because he actually trips over a fallen R2-D2. Your armor's noisy. So's your mouth. Very much like the kind of banter we would get out of uh, Rebels, I think, at this point. And uh, that particular scene gives us this great, albeit odd, last shot. It's a full-page shot, no dialogue whatsoever, of Luke standing there, blinded, with his lightsaber raised over his head. And it looks like Boba's activating his jetpack to get back into the fight. I have to admit these fight scenes were really cool. And I actually, I forgot that Luke was blinded uh, the way it played out and stuff. I mean, it, there, I mean, if it wasn't for the dialogue itself and stuff, you know, he's like a Jedi doesn't need eyes, but the way that they're rolling and stuff and the way that once they get really close, I, and I think it really comes after Luke knocks that little uh, cord, you know, the filament cable that Fett launches at him. Then you kind of get the sense that like Luke's in his element enough that it doesn't seem like he can't see. And then towards the end, you're like, he's like, I still can't see, buddy. You want to pull me out? But I really like the the comments that Fett was giving him, you know, and Luke's like, your armor's noisy. So is your mouth. <laughs> and then they had the great scene of, of you had mentioned, you know, him igniting the uh, the blaster pack and coming at Luke as Luke swinging down. But then again, you know, I, I forget that Luke can't see. And then I think about that as like that, that makes that scene even cooler, knowing that Luke is blinded right now. I think that would be a really cool scene to see in, in a movie or television form. So we jump back to the Monsua Nebula, where Han and Leia have set down in their stolen Imperial shuttle because of the Imperial pursuit. And Han's like 
taking her on a, you know, kind of a grand tour of the place, it seems like, back into this little hidey hole past a waterfall, you know, like, this could be a great place for a rebel base, you know, um, other than Chewbacca, who else knows that this is here? It's like, nobody, nobody else in the whole galaxy, and he pulls out basically some wine, some Corellian wine that they had stored there years ago or, or months ago or whatever, and it's like, you ever had Corellian wine? He's basically trying to make a move on Leia while they're on the run from the Empire, which makes sense for Han. Unfortunately for Han, the two TIE fighters up above are interrupted in there looking for them, and actually they're right ready to basically say, yeah, screw it, looks like they're probably dead or they're gone, whatever, we're out of here, when that mysterious woman's ship shows up and zips right through them, heading for exactly where Leia and Han are. We jump back to Tatooine. The fight is still going on, and... It gets to a point where actually Luke is sort of rearing up, you know, Kenobi's dead, he can't help you. He he already has, and you expect Luke to do some kind of amazing thing, and instead Luke gets shot in the arm. Which I thought was kind of interesting, you know. You're right, I'm supposed to bring you in alive, but alive just means breathing. And fortunately, Luke is able to draw on the Force, you know, he's sort of thinking about doing it, consciously doing it right then. And just at the right moment, as Boba shoots at him, he's able to pull his lightsaber up in front of him block the blaster bolt that then hits underneath Boba, but Boba uses that moment to use his jetpack to go up and tackle Luke to the ground. In the scuffle that follows, Boba is trying to reach for Luke's lightsaber, and it gets to a point where Luke's got it, but Boba is basically pushing down on Luke's arm, and the blade is coming very close to Luke's face, actually very similar to what Vader was doing with the Force and the lightsaber against Ezra back in Siege of Lothal, and Luke by instinct, uses the Force to grab that box that contains the journal for him, grab that box with four Luke on it, and send it slamming into Boba's head hard enough, apparently, that even with Boba's helmet, it knocks Boba out temporarily. And guided by R2, still blind, Luke collects the box, and they get the hell out of there. And this is after Era of the Jedi? This is after Heir to the Jedi. But remember, okay. in Heir to the Jedi, I mean, he's barely moving anything. I mean, he's moving noodles and stuff. Well, that was that was my only concern was, I, I don't mind that he was doing the noodles, but I was like, wait, he didn't do this before he did the noodles. Okay. But, yeah, and this is the part where I really forgot that he was blinded. Like, the, the drawings here, the art, the way it's done of Luke, in uh, Boba Fett's nothing to sneeze at either, but Luke, it reminds me of... It was Dark Horse Comics, The Republic. Uh, it was when they were doing the Clone Wars, the Battle of Jabin, I believe it was, where Kenobi was all tore up and he was wearing his Jedi robes and they were just all shredded and, and the rain had him down. He looked very worn down. Luke has a look very reminiscent to that. And when he's holding the one blast or the lightsaber up one handed and he's like a Jedi can feel the force flowing through him. The look of Luke in that moment and the resolve on the character is really cool. And then Fett holds the gun up and they show this great close-up. Feel this. I, I mean, the way this battle plays out is pretty dang awesome. I, I really get a kick out of that, especially. And knowing, you know, where this actually lies in, that takes away any question I have about the, the moving stuff. In fact, I like that even more because now you know that Luke's able to pull that with just a little more fury than he may have done had it been just strictly instinctual i mean if it had been just strictly instinctual and he hadn't done anything like he did with the noodles or anything like that where he had been practicing i think it would have just came and just 
hit Boba Fett, but he's practiced it a little bit. So I expect it to kind of, you know, like when you're at a pool table and you're shooting around the ball to get to the eight ball kind of thing, you know, it's like you could shoot it and, and get lucky or you could shoot it and bounce it off a table and come at it really hard. And I think like that's what we have here is, you know, he's using his the little skill that he has and it's amplifying it. Uh, you know, and the last thing I want to say about Han and Leia before we transition from there is that planet that they're on and how, you know, it's got that field that no one could realize what's going on on the core of the planet reminds me of Serenity and Firefly with Mr. Universe and the planet that he's on, like how it looks like all bad from the outside. You get on the inside and it's actually perfectly habitable. <laughs> I thought it was like a really quick twist. And it also reminded me of uh, The Last Jedi with Ferris Olin and the asteroid that they kind of set up inside that nebula. Uh, you know, I like worlds like this, the little secret worlds kind of reminds me of the Maw in Legends. Those were always some of my favorite locations and stuff. These secret places that were hidden in plain sight. So the fact that Han has one is kind of cool and where it's going to go from there. I'm, I'm interested just in this planet alone too, because we know it doesn't become Hoth. So what eventually happens to it? Which brings us to really the three ending scenes that put the final uh, cherry on top of each of these storylines and sets us up for where we might go from here. So Leia and Han, they're bickering because she's realized that, you know, he was trying to seduce her, but he, of course, says, you know, you know I, I wasn't trying to seduce you. I'd sooner seduce a Gundark. Yeah, whatever. And down comes this mysterious woman's ship. Hans looks up, like, no, that's not an Imperial ship. I thought you said no one else knew about this place. We should run. Now. What? Who is run? And they get, there's a blast that almost kills them both, just knocks them both down. The ship lands. Han, who is it? Who's found us? Why bother asking him? He'd just lie. It's the only thing he's ever been good at. I should know. The name is Sana Solo. I'm his wife. And Han's like, oh no, it's like head on his head. It's like, oh god, you know, face palm almost. Wife? Now who the hell might you be, lady? Asks Sana. Uh, We'll come back to that scene because I know we're both going to have a lot to say about that scene. We move into Luke's final scene. He gets back to the X-Wing. He can see again, sort of. He's having some vision issues still, but he is starting to be able to see again. He opens up the box, and yes, inside it, as I've already sort of hinted at previously, the journals of Ben Kenobi. That journal is going to not just be something to help Luke train. It is this series' way of opening it up to flashback stories featuring Obi-Wan, which is what issue number seven is going to be, the next issue that's actually gotten delayed as of the time that we are recording this. And that brings us to the final scene of the issue and the final scene of the arc, which actually mirrors the final scene that we get in the first Darth Vader arc. I think it plays out better in the Vader one, but you can't really do what they did in the Vader one here. Slave One arrives back at Vader's Star Destroyer. I lost him. That is most disappointing. He got lucky. Did you bring me anything of value, Bounty Hunter? Not much. Just his name. Skywalker. There's a panel of Boba just kind of standing there, waiting for Vader. Vader's not saying anything. Vader's still looking out the viewport. And Boba's finally like, Anakin Skywalker. Like, could you just imagine Vader going like, wait, what? He doesn't say Anakin Skywalker. <laughs> no, he doesn't. He just says Skywalker. He doesn't even say Luke. Like, that was the weirdest damn thing. It's like, wait, you got the name, but you're not going to give him all of it? Wait, you're playing really close to the chest here, Fett, with a guy that could take your head off. I'm assuming he probably does say Luke or did provide some documentation that said Luke. It's just a here he just says Skywalker for dramatic effect. But finally, Boba's like, we're done here then, and just walks out. 
and we see Vader still looking out the viewport until he clenches his fist, and there's this sort of like rumbling, of course, that you kind of get a sense that there would be Skywalker, and then boom, the viewport starts to crack from his rage. What we don't know is what's going through his head, but we actually get to see his thoughts in Vader. So here it's it's more from Boba Fett's point of view, and then briefly from Vader's. It seems like they're trying to keep the perspective characters in many ways, getting inside their heads in this series, more focused on the Rebels than on Vader, Fett, and the others, but especially Vader, keeping Vader that menace that's out there, uh, not inside his head, as opposed to the Vader comic series getting further in there. Um, I thought it was kind of a shock, I gotta be honest with you, that they found out Luke's name this early uh, in the Marvel series. It took all the way up until Dark Lord's Gambit for a very long time, and in the uh, the Legends continuity, it took them to, uh, to I guess, 1999-ish, I think it was, to eventually produce Vader's Quest that gave us yet another way that he found out the name, and then they had to shoehorn those things together when the Marvel series was pulled into the Legends continuity, and here we are, very early on. He finds out the name by the end of the first arc of the first two series that Marvel is putting out for this new story group approved canon continuity out here. I found that pretty impressive. I also like the idea of using Obi-Wan's journals to move us into some flashback stories about Obi-Wan and see how Luke could learn. Because you would figure that if Obi-Wan had that much time watching Luke, he would have set up something to help Luke even if he was gone. Before we get to the Sana Solo thing, Mark, why don't you hit those last two scenes? Yeah, well, you know, the Vader one, I like the fact that they left some of the stuff in the other one so you have a reason to go to that scene and get something different. In a lot of ways, it's like a reprint of a book where they put a little short story at the end. Oh, I want this for the additional content. Okay. I, I thought that was really cool. I did question the fact that he didn't drop Luke in the dialogue there, so it does leave me kind of assuming that he gave him Luke's full name because, yeah, I mean, what, there's only one person with the name Skywalker? I mean, we're learning more people have the name Solo than we thought. Uh, the Kenobi's journal, though, I, I like what that does on two folds. I like the fact that it allows them to go back and do some flashbacks, which everyone always says, oh, they didn't do it in Star Wars. Bullshit. They do it now. Uh, so I like that angle. The other side of this is this is a great opportunity for them to create Kenobi's journal. You know, we've got the Imperial Handbook. We've got the Bounty Hunters Code. We've got Book of Sith. We've got the Jedi Path. Those are all Legends books now. So why not give us a canon one in the same style? And this would be the perfect opportunity. You could think of it as a Jedi's Path version 2 in a sense, but it's specifically for Luke and or you, the reader. I think that would be a really cool thing if Becca Meyer were to pitch that idea or maybe even Delray take the ball on this one. I don't care. I just I, The fact that Kenobi's general survived uh, is really cool. I mean, because even in Jedi Path, like we have some things like that. Like we have uh, uh, the napkin from Dexter's Diner where where Kenobi sketched out, you know, the lightsaber that Luke ends up creating for Return of the Jedi. Uh, but that's now Legends. So, I mean, I'm assuming we're going to have a lot of that still material being passed from Kenobi to Luke. But we could also find that some of the stuff that Luke found when he went and found the Chunthor on Dathomir, the Jedi training ship that crashed there on Dathomir, when he found all the old uh, student records and stuff like that, the training facility, you know, he got all his main Academy information off of that ship. Maybe he now gets it through Kenobi's journal that Kenobi leaves him as much stuff as he can in that regard. I mean, that'd be a cool twist. All right. So let's circle back, of course, to the elephant in the room, which is Sana Solo. The idea that Han had a wife that we never knew about absolutely blew up 
on the internet. Sites all over the place that don't even cover Star Wars stuff hardly at all. Holy crap, Han's got a wife. Look how they've rewritten the storyline now in this new canon because Han's got a wife. What bothers me about that, one, is we don't know if this really is his wife or not. We only have her word for it at this point. This could be a Star Wars attempt at a sitcom misunderstanding. This could be a Star Wars attempt at a, whoopsie, it was a misunderstanding like with um, uh, Mal and, oh, what's her name from, uh, from Firefly? Mm-hmm. Um, and it just seems to me that there's a lot of hubbub without us even really knowing who this person is. If it turns out that she really was his wife or is his wife, they're estranged or whatever, that is a huge deal. Because it's a very big change to Han Solo's character, but we don't know that yet. Our only chance to start to get to know that maybe is issue number eight that's not out yet, because we know the next issue is the Kenobi flashback. So there's kind of a lot up in the air for people to be in, have such a big uproar about the idea of him possibly having a wife. A um, couple things that stand out to me with it. One, there were some people who were freaking out, not just that he had a wife, but that he had a, dare you say it? black wife oh my god Han is white she is black shouldn't we have gotten over this with Kirk and Uhura kissing on TV or something decades ago <laughs> um, but there were some people who were like whoa they're really pushing an agenda here right actually using the term agenda uh, to mean like trying to push some kind of racial angle here and in a country with so much racial tension right now in the United States lately oh this is Star Wars's way of pushing I'm not sure they would be pushing anything and I gotta say for those who are freaked out about the idea of Han could be married to a black woman. You realize that back in the Marvel days, there was annual number one, a long hunt duel of eagles, the one that introduced the Skateri, the flying cool sky beings and whatnot, the ones that were later reused for a, a Lost Tribe of the Sith spiral. In that story, Han is kind of heavily hinted at having had a physical relationship with a fellow smuggler who was a black woman in full 1970s, early 1980s black exploitation look with the poofy hair and everything, um, a woman named Katya Mbwele. So not only a stereotypical look for a black woman of the time being characterized in the media, or mischaracterized in the media, but also a name that played very heavily on uh, black African spelling, not white Africans, South African, white the last names don't tend to be like that. It's South Africa and Northern Africa, where you have the, the heavy apostrophe use. See, now I'm getting all linguistic. Um, that that's sort of been done before, in a sense. If there was going to be outrage and people freaking out somehow about Han maybe having some type of relationship with someone who wasn't a white human, one, probably it should be when it's an alien, not another human. And two, if it was going to be about race among humans, that should have been an issue back with the Marvel series originally, not this Marvel series. I would like to think that we're past that at this point, but I did see that popping up here and there within the, the forms and whatnot. But the fact that it did pop up as a racial angle gives me my big hope for this character. I don't want this to be something like Delian Moore's is made a lesbian just because, right? It, it, she's just a human being. She just happens to be a lesbian. Her really, her sexual orientation makes no difference in the story. It's just that she has a dead person in her past, and it's either a man or a woman, whatever, right? That seemed to be something there to show the diversity. We've got a lot of characters lately in Star Wars to try to show diversity, whether we're talking the end of the Legends continuity or the beginning of this new one with, like, Nakari Kellen, for instance, from Heir to the Jedi. We find out within the artwork for the, the excerpt that she is a black woman also. 
I want this to be a case where it's not just about diversity. I want Sana Solo to be black for a reason. I want it to be the reason that, back in the day, we would have said was the big Star Wars stereotype. I want her to be related to Lando. I want her to be Lando's sister. And I don't, mm. and I don't mean in a, well, there's not many black characters in Star Wars, so they must all be related, huh, kind of thing. I want her to be Lando's sister so that when he says an Empire, you've got a lot of guts coming here after what you pulled. It's not about the Battle of Nar Shadda, uh, which was in the, Le- the Legends' answer, which was then watered down by them still working together in the Yavin Basilica and Scoundrels. I want it to be personal. Not after what you pulled on this big group I was a part of, but after what you did to my sister, the mm-hmm. hell you think you can come here and get my help? I want the personal angle. I don't know if it's going to happen. And people are saying, how dare you suggest that they're related because they both happen to be black. But you know what? I want it to matter. I want that to be the connection and why they chose to make this character this particular ethnicity. It could be just for the heck of it or just for diversity. But think of the possibilities if this is someone who's Lando's sister or something. Mm -hmm. You have the angle that you're talking about of it's my sister. What the heck did you do? You have the angle of don't take my my ship and my sister. Uh, but then also, like, if she turns out to not be Han's wife in the end, like, they figure it out, oh, it's just all a misunderstanding, Sana's, she's a little nuts, she's still Lando's sister, so she could still be a character that comes around and has now a history with the big three. So there's those angles. But then there's the flash-forward side. What if they brought her in because she's Finn's mother? I mean, you know, I'm still assuming that Han and Leia are going to get married at some point, but what if... Sana Solo happens to be his wife, and when it's all over, they end up getting back together, and we find out that Finn is Solo's son. I mean, there there are angles here at play that we still don't even have, you know, details to really lock it all in. But at least in the past angle, if you're looking at it being Calrissian's sister, or that she was Sana Calrissian at one point, it adds so much history to her immediately. Just not just with Han, but with Lando and the two of them at the same time. Like, I I think that's a brilliant way to play it. And I almost think that that's the way that they should play it and are going to play it. Because when you think about what they're doing with the the comics that Marvel's been putting out so far and the way they've been connecting them and stuff, like, that seems like the next no-brainer move that they would do would be to pull something like that so they could tell two stories at one time. I mean, this would be your only way to get the Han Solo, you know, origin type story in that regard. You could have them talking about the issue that set all this in motion. It could have been right after, you know, Han got the ship or even after. I mean, could you imagine if Han actually won the ship like in like a hand of wedding or it was a wedding gift kind of thing? And then, oh, yeah, not only was it a wedding gift, you took the ship and left my sister behind. (laughs) Oh, God, that's even worse. I was thinking of like maybe she helped him. Uh, like cheat Lando or something, but yeah, well, but th- I mean, th- or this could very well. Maybe it's not Lando's sister. Maybe this is someone that. Granted, you have to go back to the whole. Oh well, is it a stereotype where they're putting two people of the same race together? But maybe this could be someone that Lando had a relationship with, and there's a double meaning when Han says, "Hey, you lost her to me, fair and square," and Lando's like, "Oh, oh. I hate you, you mother! <laughs> I hate you." <laughs> And again, Mark is going to have to censor. <laughs> just imagine, I mean, just just the way that they could play this. She could be anybody with any background. All we're doing is speculating. But, you know, 
they are hitting so many beats and trying to explain so many things. Like, here's how Vader found out Luke's name. Here's Luke's first return back to Tatooine. Here's the first contact between Luke and Vader. Here's a way uh, that Luke found out more about learning to be a Jedi thanks to that journal left by Obi-Wan. There are so many little things. They seem like they're trying to touch on, here's Luke encountering Boba, but let's make sure that he doesn't recognize him. I would not put it past them to be trying to build towards that line out of Empire, that animosity in Empire already in this story, because it seems that they're kind of looking for those types of opportunities already. Yeah, there's definitely an eye on the detail here, and they're really good at lacing things together so far. Um, You know, and I don't even have an idea yet as to, you know, is this all the story group telling, you know, these guys, this is the story we want to tell you or, you know, how the story group's working. So like, I don't know if it's just one author and Marvel's end. that's really creative that the story group's like, Hey, I like your ideas. Let's, uh, you know, let's hear some more of that. You know, I'm curious as to how that's playing as to who I should be giving credit for, for me enjoying this, this much. All right. So again, if there was a final thought to give here, this is a series that has a lot of potential. It's got really good artwork. It's doing very well with the dialogue, and it's had enough interesting beats and twists that I think it's it's slowly going to be able to overcome the, oh, well, it's just another story set in this era like we've seen in the Legends continuity that happens to be hitting these story beats, that it really can grow, especially the way that it is interweaving with what we're getting out of the Darth Vader comic series. I have to wonder if we're going to be able to see it interweave with other series as Marvel continues to grow as long as they keep it under control. Again, very much like DC in the days of, say, the uh, the death of Superman and the breaking of Batman with Nightfall, where they actually would have multiple series telling the story, but each one was numbered by what order they took place in, as opposed to it being multiple series covering the same characters that all don't seem to really mesh well together, as Mark has lamented so much of some of the modern Marvel storytelling in other genres, especially in dealing with, I believe it was Venom. So... Mm-hmm. Uh, I would highly recommend picking this up. Pick up Vader as well, though, and maybe read them going back and forth. I'm not sure that it's going to make that much of a difference, but I think reading them back and forth will probably be your best bet. Uh, eventually, once the new edition of the Star Wars Timeline Gold comes out later this year, you'll be able to see the title listing and see exactly how each of these issues interweaves with one another as you flip back and forth as a reading order. But for now, just know, read them both. Yeah, definitely on that one. Uh, and I think this one definitely hit the ground it's running it's firing on all cylinders it's really moving you know what we've come to think of star wars forward uh you know the big fear has always been what's the history now that the history has been erased and i like the fact that they took so many of those little tropes and put them in together and got them out of the way in this first arc Uh, i think that leaves me with a, a feeling of optimism that i really haven't had since we found out that legends was becoming legends and being cast aside i mean you know the optimism of new star wars is one thing but the optimism of a new galaxy that is intermeshed the way that legends was coming back again and you know, that's the one aspect of the team that they have in charge of the story group that I've always loved seeing it on paper and seeing it unfold is really refreshing. And I think that this one will be one of those series that we're going to look back and it's going to become an essential read. I really, I really think that as the rest of the universe grows and it all starts to tie together and stuff that the characters and the situations that came out of this are going to be something that you're going to want to go back and reread about. 
and that they're going to be something that when you do, you're going to get a lot of fun out of it. And like Nathan said, if you grab the two and read them together, you're going to get a heck of a lot more out of it. And that is, I think is probably one of the best things going for Marvel with all their series right now is that they have at least two of them that are really focusing on that. Uh, and I think that that's, that's just the key to what they need to be doing for the fans the fandom, even the casual fans are going to appreciate it for what it is, but the long-term fans are really going to love it for the attention to detail. So I really got a kick out of that. Uh, moving into covers, we're only going to cover the six that were coming on the digital versions, the, the main versions, because they covered so many, which we will get into after we've hit these. Uh, we'll briefly t- touch on it again once more. I mean, we've talked about it before when we first heard about the information about how many versions of the variants were coming out. But uh, the first one is just the basic background of white. We've got Vader's silhouette with the hyperspace lines with the ships kind of coming out of that uh, towards the screen. And you got Luke with this kind of like, I've got the saber out, I'm defending the group behind me kind of pose with Han and Leia kind of taking aim and Chewie kind of ready for like the, the third guard aspect. It's pretty nice. Decent little cover. Uh, the number two one is one that I really kind of dig a lot of. It's got, you know, ATATs and ATSTs walking forward. You got Vader and then you got Han and Chewie kind of bunkered down and they've got all the, you know, the troops and stuff walking toward them and they're kind of like, Shh, you know, like we got this kind of thing. Uh, I find that one probably one of the more fun ones of them all. Uh, number three is probably the one I, I don't like the most, uh, mainly because of how Luke looks on it. He looks a little funky, but it captures the action of what's going on in this arc very well. It's him on the speeder bike because he's flying through and knocking the blaster bolts and stormtroopers all over the place. Uh, number four, we get a great iconic Tatooine image and it's got Vader in the background and you get, you know, the homestead and you've got, it's Luke with the robe, but he kind of has a Vader-esque look to the way the robe's kind of on himself. So I, I like the way that one's got a foreshadowed look to it. Our fifth one, I like the blues of it. It's kind of got like a targeting effect to it to a degree, almost like a ship's targeting effect. And you got the TIE fighter behind it with a lot of TIE fighter blaster bolts flying over and it almost kind of has the classic Luke uh, where he's doing that turn and twist and shoot. Like we've seen this one on a few legends covers before. Uh, and then you got the princess Leia with the help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope look to her outfit with the hoods, like slide over her buns. And Han's got this look like Chewie might've just cut something. I'm willing to forgive it though. Cause the blaster looks so nice. Uh, the sixth one, it's got this really cool green look. Uh, and it's definitely Boba Fett's targeting computer and he's looking down on a blinded Luke. Uh, so I really like that one. And in fact, it's hard for me to say which one I like more versus that one in number two, because I like really the action that it kind of captures. Uh, but I would probably say that one's my favorite because the rest of the background is all black and I just love black. You're so goth, you, um, <laughs> I guess running through these, the main covers here, uh, first cover I really like. It's very dynamic. It really sort of looks like a film poster, and the artwork is done very well. Although I do find it kind of amusing that, you know, you've got the heroes standing there like, dun da 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 with the X-Wings flying over them, dun da 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 and TIE fighters flying with them. It's it's like, it, it seems like it's supposed to be one of those like, big heroic moments, and then you've also got your TIE fighters in there, which is a little odd. But I do really like that one. That one's probably my favorite or second favorite, as the case may be, with these uh, tied very closely with the fifth. The second with Vader standing over uh, Han and Chewie huddled. Nice cover. Nothing wrong with it. Just not necessarily one of my favorites, but decent cover. Uh, number three with Luke flying through with the, uh, the speeder bike. Not a favorite cover, if only because Luke's face, he looks kind of monkey-esque. It looks like a uh, cross between Star Wars and Planet of the Apes. we got a crossover happening already. Then you jump down to number four, uh, the cool you know, background of of Vader's image hovering over there, almost like shades of 
kind of the original teaser poster for episode one, where you got the one character uh, uh, suggesting the imagery of another. In that case, it was young Anakin versus Vader. In this case, it's Luke and Vader, two actual different characters. Uh, issue five, uh, I like. It's kind of crazy freaky. I almost wonder what this would look like with some of those Valiant Vision glasses that I've got that turn anything that's in color into 3D in some form or another from way back in the 90s. I kind of want to try it on that cover, but I'm pretty sure I'll throw up. Um, very cool looking cover, but you can tell there's photo references being used for the most part for those, um, which is fine, but you can tell obviously where some of these images come from. And then of course you got the one for number six with the uh, crosshairs. I think they had a missed opportunity here. I think it would have been awesome to have uh, Boba Fett off to the side and make this a parody of the first issue of Spider-Man that featured the Punisher. <laughs> Missed opportunity absolutely there. Um, but yeah, so far the cover art has been pretty cool. Uh, sometimes fitting what's inside the issue, like in the case of two to a degree, um, three, four to a degree, uh, and six, and sometimes like one in five just being movie poster-esque, which from time to time is cool too. Now, Mark mentioned there's a lot of covers of these. And we've talked about this before, but this became Marvel's top-selling comic. Uh, this was a huge comic setting, all kinds of sales numbers. But in part, that was because you not only had the regular cover, you had tons and tons and tons of variants including ones that were comic shop-specific variants for those comic shops that ordered a certain amount of the comic and then were allowed to have their own variant created by Marvel Special Program. So you had well over a 100 uh, different variant covers you could have gotten for the first issue. And there are other variant covers being produced for other issues out of these six. And now you're seeing reprintings where these same original covers, the, the base covers that we've talked about, have gotten multiple printings, uh, and all they're doing basically is changing the background color. So you've got, for instance, with number one, there's the white background that was the first print. There's a black background that's the second print, and as you go along all the way up to the fifth printing, you've got one's got a green background, one's got a yellow background, one's got a pink background. They're just kind of cycling through different background colors, and as you get second, third, fourth, fifth, or whatever printings of other issues from this series and Darth Vader too, actually. Um, they seem like they're trying to line up those colors so you sort of know just by looking at the color of the background which printing you're getting. And as ridiculous as the number of variant covers was and how much of an issue I had with that and the inflating of the sales numbers in that way and Marvel basically saying, yeah, we did it! But look at how you did it. Uh, kind of the same way as, yeah, welcome home! Yeah, it was a fait accompli. You didn't earn it back. It's mm -hmm. just Disney putting it in-house. Um, I will say that the number of reprintings definitely goes to show a strong interest out there that perhaps over time they would have earned those sales numbers anyway, even without the tons of variant covers, which is impressive. And I do very much appreciate, I'm not someone who's getting all the different printings of this one like I did with Star Wars Volume 2, number one from back with Dark Horse, screw that. <laughs> um, but I do appreciate the fact that they're making them visually obvious as to which printing you're getting in following a particular theme. So I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. There are so many, I mean, I'm going to add the link to uh, bleeding cool. They had 68 number one variants at that time. Uh, so I'll, I'll put the link of that 
in our show notes. I actually have uh, the, the one cover I went out when number one came out. I bought one of the variants because I wanted to have one in physical, uh, even though I was waiting for the trades. And I got the uh, it's number nine on their list. It's the uh, Sarah uh, Pichelli variant where Han's holding on to Leia and Leia's got her arm around him with the blaster. And they're standing in front of like what looks to be the window that the Emperor's looking out of on the second Death Star. Uh, but that one just spoke to me. And I was just like, you know, 10 bucks. I'm already if I'm going to get number one, it's going to be five bucks. It's only five bucks more and that was kind of how i rationalized it and that's the one i got and it came with this really cool uh uh lithio foil kind of uh drawing that came to kind of had a katie cook can draw kind of uh, look to it um but yeah i mean so many out there it really came down to you know how do you want to pick and choose if you're going to do a variant and that was what i came to it was like if one of them really spoke to me i will get it as long as the price isn't too outrageous uh, and, and I, that's also the other aspect of it is like, I don't think we even have official numbers of how many stores took advantage of that because they had to order, I think like 3000 copies. And then they were able to select a Marvel artist of their choosing to draw whatever they would like him to draw on the cover for their specific stores. So each store had their own versions on top of all the others. So just to cover that would easily take three to four episodes of its own. I mean, it's just, it's an insane amount of covers. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and, you know, as Nathan said before in past episodes, I mean, it's crazy the marketing scheme that they did or, or brilliance that they had, uh, you know, however you want to look at it, but we have definitely covered that topic. So we just felt like, you know, we just covered the main six and and give you guys that link to check them out. Uh, so that's where that is. May I say though, that, I am very impressed at some of the variants. I don't want to go into detail with them, of course, but they did a lot of parody-type covers of other Marvel stuff. There's parodies of Iron Man covers, uh, old tales from suspense. There actually is one of Boba Fett shooting at Han that's done like that Punisher cover that I was suggesting maybe they could have done for number six. Um, There's even one that has... Of all people, Jackson on it, and it's basically the main characters, the big three plus the other heroes from these issues, um, holding a door closed. And Jackson's like, are you in there? I can hear you breathing, right? And the old Marvel stuff. It's just, that was a good one. It's not to say that the, the covers that were out there were not awesome. There were some fantastic ones. It's the number of them that was ridiculous. And the way that they, for better or worse, wound up inflating sales numbers by doing that... Uh, when it turns out that maybe they didn't even need that inflation given the number of reprintings there's been to be able to claim the title that they're able to claim for the the series. Yeah, and each variant had a different price. I mean, I remember my store, some were five, you know, five bucks, some were ten, some were fifteen, some were twenty-five, and then it jumped fast. You went from twenty-five to fifty to seventy-five to a hundred. I mean, they were jumping to twenty-five dollar increments from there. I was like, wow, really? A hundred bucks for that already? Wow. Oh, and not even to mention, there was also a blank cover version where you could have an artist, if you ran into one, create your own cover. And there's been some fantastic covers created that way. Although I am a little disturbed at the sheer number of let's do Leia in the metal bikini pushing her boobs up type shots that people have had artists do. They've they've commissioned artists to make that as their cover for Star Wars number one for Marvel. (sighs) Bazinga. Yeah, I don't know. I don't there I don't even know what to say to that other than just to shake my head and kinda hang my head. I just <laughs> insert face palm here. Uh way to play into the stereotypes, guys. Way to play into the stereotypes. <laughs> Not of women, but of US Star Wars fans and males. For the most part. I get that it's a women empowerment thing. I get it. Don't send the letters. But guys, why? It's it's like 
You want a custom-made Guardians of the Galaxy cover. But what do you want it to be? You want it to be Gamora in a stream bikini. You're playing into the stereotype, guys. Come on. Now that about wraps up this episode of Star Wars Beyond the Films. We'd like to thank you guys and gals once again for hanging around with us as we ponder on sharing our fandom. Remember, you can always listen to our episodes streaming online on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division of Podcasts at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes are also available on Zoom, Stitcher, and on iTunes, which we always encourage you to leave us a review while you're at it. You can also find links to our episodes on both our Twitter and our Facebook pages at SWBeyondFilms, or just type in Star Wars Beyond the Films in your search bar. Hey, but no matter how you get there, be sure to like our Facebook page. It's one of the best ways to interact with us. It's our own home one, if you will. Not only can you post comments to us about the show, we love interacting with you fellow fans, so if you have any Star Wars and or Legends questions, or you just want to comment about a past episode, fire off. You can always email us directly at SWBeyondFilms at StarWarsFanWorks.com. Also, by the way, if you're checking out my YouTube channel with From the Star Wars Home Video Library, we do have the first video posted there that is actually in HD. Finally, if you want to check that out, dealing with the repackages of the Clone Wars, I'll be returning to that series uh, quite a bit in the future from the Star Wars Home Video Library that is not the Clone Wars. And speaking of the continuation off of the Clone Wars, Star Wars Rebels, Star Wars Rebels Season 2 has not premiered as an ongoing season yet, but... Siege of Lothal, the hour-long special, has, so be keeping an eye out. Hopefully by the time this episode is released, you'll be able to go into the feed for the Star Wars Report's Rebels Roundtable and find our episode on Siege of Lothal, also at StarWarsReport.com. Now, lastly, before we go, we wanted to mention to you our sponsor, Audible. If you go to www.audibletrial.com slash StarWarsReport, you get a free trial run of Audible to see what they're all about. They have more than 100,000 titles that you can explore. You can explore Star Wars and any other genre without risk of being stuck with a book you flat out hate because Audible members can exchange any book within 12 months with no questions asked. So if you're thinking of making that switch from the page to the audiobook, Audible just might be right for you. So once again, for Star Wars Beyond the Films, this has been Mark and Whistler. And Nathan. Saying thanks for listening and may the force be with you. And don't quote us the odds. That she's actually Lando's sister. Please let her be Lando's sister. <laughs> Can I get 50000 on Lando's sister? <laughs> oh, and, and what are the odds that the ship she's flying is also Han's? Oh, that, that could be possible. You, know, you imagine Han turning the tables, he walks in the door, sees Lando's sister. Hello, what have we here? And Lando just kicks him squat in the nuts. <laughs> That's my line, fool. <laughs> And my sister. But don't worry, it's the line that I'm worried about more. <laughs> Damn. That's harsh, bro. <laughs>
And then we've got the fact that Luke has now encountered... And then we got the fact that now that Vader has encountered Luke, he's wondering who this boy is. He know he's got... It's letters. all the South accents you were using. It's letters and syllables being missing. I don't feel like I've got a headache, but I think I'm starting to get one of those those aphasia ones that your speech, which is not good. Or it's just because it's so hot in here. <laughs> that could <sighs> be. Okay, let's try this again. The Darth Vader comment. Oh my God. Comic, comic, comic. Let's see, I'm trying to look here. I love my words for the desert. Ah. Could possibly have come from the sand dune. Ah. The, the banthas are being swapped. As the banthas are being brutally killed by the uh, little mandal. Now I'm doing it. This is just crazy. The entire empire is out there searching for the. Got your burp to go along with unknown name. Suck my unknown. <laughs> ah, stop calling me. Who's are in my mouth? You ever hear Team Cook? Okay, kid. The empire. Ah. There are fan theories online that this is supposed to be Kidster. No. Um. Laz? This is supposed to be, is it Windy? Ah, oh, I just say it anyway. Fixer? No. Cammy, Fixer, I think it's Windy, I guess. Because it's not supposed to be Cammy, it's not supposed to be Fixer. Well, Doxa almost looks like it's Laz. Here, let no. me drop this in the chat. Uh-uh. No, I forget who they're thinking that it was. I actually have it. I had it. I posted it. I want to say it was Wendy. I thought it was Kelly. Oh, 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 Laz. Lay's Loney Ozner. That is Fixer. That's Fixer, yeah. Um, yeah, Wendy. Yeah, Wendy. I think it's I think it's Wendy. I think it's Wendy. Let me make sure. Here's yeah, it's Wendy. Wendy. They're thinking. Okay, I got it. All right, hang on. My throat is just El Oh, Grande. Oh my God. Uh. Okay, here we go. We can do this. Only two more issues to go. Oh god. <laughs> well, I also did some Palpatine voice pickups this morning, and that always tears my throat up. <laughs> I, yeah, I seen one of your tweets a while back about that. About your voice is gone after doing Tears me up. Palpatine may have taken away democracy, but he also took away my vocal cords. <laughs> okay. Outtake here, outtake here. <laughs> Unless it has to do with sexual prowess, <laughs> that man is a real bush pilot. He's a real <laughs> ace. Yes, Luke the ladies' man. I don't think so, at least not yet. Ah, okay. Moisture farmer and a brush pilot. Uh, uh, okay. Uh. I my stomach. I'm 12 pounds lighter. <laughs> exactly. And my IBS started really kicking my ass. <coughs> no pun intended there for a second. Uh, okay, plug this back. Okay, Not only can you post comments to us about the show, we love interacting with you fellow fans. So if you guys and gals have any comments, or if you want to... 
So if you have any... <laughs> Our own...